You're listening to the Townsville Chambercast. Essential information, ideas and news that matters to the business community of Townsville. We would like to thank our show partner, Adits, for making this podcast possible. Adits are a local IT provider with one purpose, to implement effective technology solutions which empower their customers to achieve their mission. You can find out more about how they can support you and your business over on their website, adits.com.au. A-D-I-T-S dot Welcome to uh, Townsville Chambercast. Today we're looking at the industry referred to as accommodation and food services. And whilst the name is a little bit easier to understand than other services, people in this industry include businesses that are mainly engaged in the short-term accommodation to visitors. This includes business that provide food, beverages and the preparation of serving meals and serving alcoholic beverages. In the Townsville community there's 12,000 businesses registered and 548 of them are defined as accommodation and food services. This makes up 4.5% of businesses registered but they're punching well above their in the uh, employment ranks with over 4,000 jobs here locally attributed to this industry or or 5.3% of the Townsville workforce. Today joining me are representatives from this sector who have experienced one hell of a ride through COVID and I'd like to invite uh, Michael Jones, CEO of The Ville, Alan Pike, owner of Seabar and Richard MacArthur from Peppers on Magnetic Island. Afternoon gentlemen. Thank you, good morning. So thanks very much for joining me and hopefully we can take people on a bit of a journey from the beautiful Strand up to Leslie's Drive and, uh, and across to, to beautiful Magnetic Island. But probably what everyone wants to hear is the rough road you've been on lately. So Michael, if I can start with you at the Ville, you know, when COVID hit, the cancellation started to come through last March. We didn't know about JobKeeper back then. How did you guys react in that first month and what did that mean? Uh, well, Ross, there's no template and there's no experience to be able to prepare you for something like we went through. You know, the day we had to stand down 650 staff was uh, one that I never want to repeat again, uh, hopefully in my working career. But I guess the, the, the first things you do is probably not indifferent to any size business. The, you look around and find as much cash as you can and make sure you, uh, you get that in the account. Start to look at where all your expenses are. As I said, our biggest cost is, uh, is our staffing costs. But outside of that, the unbelievable amount of monthly payments that go out, you know, what can we... We, we can negotiate where we can keep our uh, our costs down. For us, we sold off all the food that we could get rid of, the beverages that were going out by expiry date you know, in the next few months because at that time, the Prime Minister was saying, look, be ready for six months of shutdown. So, you know, then the, as you said, the, the, the phone calls and emails started coming in. So although we were shutting down, we had people ringing up wanting to change wedding bookings, change accommodation bookings, conference bookings. You know, the business still kept going essentially from that perspective, but there was only a handful of the staff left to be able to try and deal with it. You still needed to run a business. You still needed to show an open face, per se. Well, we could not get back to people. One of the biggest challenges we had was the locals who decided they want to come and use the pool every single night. So we'd, uh, <laughs> we'd have the surveillance boys set up to make sure they keep an eye on that. But, you know, it was after we got through that initial shutdown, then it was in this holding period, which was unbelievably stressful, as stressful as the shutdown period, because we just didn't know. We had all the complications around JobKeeper. And that's one thing I think I've learned out of this is to not try and preempt what government's going to do. Just wait for the announcements to come because that was a changing every single day and who would apply to how it was going to be paid was uh, was very complicated so it was a very challenging period. Yeah and Alan slightly smaller business but no difference to the stresses obviously how did you guys sort of see that first couple of months? Yeah look I think it's just on a smaller scale when we got told I think it was nine o'clock on March the 23rd that we had a shut at 12 o'clock the next day 
we never had a chance to stop all our orders coming through. We had seafood coming through. We had massive amount of orders coming through that we said they thought that we were still going to be able to trade through. This was difficult because we opened at six o'clock in the morning. So we had six hours essentially to get everything done, sort out where we're going to, pre-cook what we could do and try and sell out things. And we lost a lot of money in that time. But notwithstanding that, I think the thing for us as a small business is we wanted to really do what we can to take care of our staff because obviously, you know, if we had 2020 vision with with where it's going on now, you would have thought, well, JobKeeper and everything else, it was hard to get people to the, with the JobKeeper in line. But we decided to look after all our employees. We got them all in, you know, we, we helped them pay acts. A lot of them had payments and, you know, house loans and all the rest of the stuff. So we paid out all their holidays. We paid out all their sick leave to them that we thought would help them out just to try and keep the, I guess, the staff with us because we would didn't want to be in a situation where we get an opportunity to open back up and as Michael said there was there was no crystal ball we didn't know what was going on mm. but all as we knew for us to have a successful business we need to have people working for us you know we were lucky that yes you know a week or so later JobKeeper come online we're able to change our whole business model you know we we went from a place that was well known for the sit-down food the brekkies and the lunches and the seafood and things like that to a place that we had to try and make some money out of out of takeaways yeah well I can tell you the first few weeks we made $15 a day you know, because never we were never known as takeaway places. You know, places like the across the road and the, the coffee club and all that, where you know they got the street view. Yes, they were being successful in that area, but no, not for us. Mm. So it was a real struggle. We had to change our business model completely, and we've learned a lot from it now. You know, we've come out the other side. We're I think we're one of the lucky businesses that we're in a fantastic location too. Yep. So you know that coupled with how we've changed our business model, how we've changed things around. You know, it's it's a good luck story for us at the moment. But it was a difficult time moving through it. Not something I wanted again you know we're only small business but we still employed 37 staff at the time so for a small business in in the size of ours to employ that many people that's a big thing and other than that, the guys like these big girls sitting beside us here they've got all the you know the big the the big restaurants and places like that that was a big thing for us and we thought well how are we going to get out of that mm-hmm. um i think the thing was that i've had businesses before and my wife has had businesses before where we've traded through recessions and we've been had businesses through recessions and we've been able to change our own business model to suit that recession and trade out of it you know this wasn't a recession so the thing i think that we found more difficult was that we couldn't make the decisions that we knew we could still be COVID safe with still be successful and still do the right thing and still make money those decisions were taken out of our hands so i think it's taken a lot longer than what it could have for us if we're allowed to do certain things different ways the business could have been a lot better we you know we wouldn't have been relying on like everyone else job keeper and those ones along the way so it's yeah as i say we've learned a lot and we've come out the other side yeah yeah no 100 and you know richard over on magnet Island, you know, you're isolated a little bit more over there than, than these guys with, with at least the ferry service anyway. But did you, you know, obviously experience some similar things to these guys, but anything else in particular being in a bit more of a harder to get to location like that? I mean, similar to these guys, there was a lot of, well, there's no template, I suppose, to go through what we've all been through. And that was probably the biggest challenge. But, you know, for us, I guess our, our staff, like everyone else being the biggest asset that we've got, it was really just managing the concerns of the staff and, and then their expectations while you're standing them down, while you're, you're going into a situation where we don't know what's what's going to happen when we don't know what the future is going to look like so just making sure that we're communicating through to the staff to give them as, as clear a picture as we can about what we see coming mm. uh, and how we manage that the one thing on the island i suppose it is it is a very much a community and so you know it was it was actually a nice part of uh, being there together with the staff and most of our team were really understanding with what we we're going through because they could see it coming across the, the whole world with this as well but as michael mentioned standing down a whole bunch of people that have worked hard for you for a long time was a really difficult thing to do so for us we found looking after them how do we look after them and how do we take care of them when we when, when the future was looking so uncertain yeah and i mean we've got a couple of questions to, to get to today but i mean we've instantly you've all highlighted staffing and 
12 months on now or just over that, what are your issues with staff now? Probably a little bit different to that. I can say for us on the island, we, we really struggle to get staff. It's, you know, it's a fairly, fairly seasonal location and we rely a lot on the backpacker market that just isn't there at the moment. But the demand for rental properties and for short-term holiday letting on the island is as high as it's ever been. So a lot of people are looking at the opportunity and they're taking advantage of that, which is then restricting the ability for people to come and, and live and rent on the island to, to, who are typically our hospitality workers. So that's really the biggest risk that we face is that we can't get staff. And, and it's, it's a seller's market at the moment. So if a staff member in hospitality, there's work for them anyway. We've seen auctions almost happening where people are offering different meals or accommodation or anything just to secure the services of a good hospitality worker, and it's it's very competitive. Yeah, we we find that the same through the sea bar. The biggest thing we're trying to find there is obviously chefs. I mean, everyone's looking for chefs. The country, the whole everyone. But you know, we've been very lucky. We've held all our chefs there now. But you know, just before COVID, we had some four, five, seven guys that had to go back home because that's where the COVID was hitting really hard. So they they went back home. We've never been able to replace them, so we decided to uh, start growing our own. So we put on some apprentices which we haven't had to do before but we've had to do that there now start training our own guys up to get them through and the same for the front of house you know having good quality people is is a difficult thing to find but again we are very lucky because the majority of the people that i've got here have been with me since day dot so we're, we're very lucky the turnover for us is very minimal but if people have left because you know they've got a job in their chosen field or something like that then those people just trying to get the right stuff and you know obviously during job keeper that was impossible you know no one wanted to work you'd put ads out you spend a lot of money and people might send in something to you but they'd never turn up for an interview or they'd turn up in such a way that they you just knew they didn't want the job in the first place yeah very difficult times for businesses like that mm. alan's spot on We're, our experience is exactly the same ross where during job seeker and job keeper whilst job keeper was unbelievably fantastic for our industry and allowed us to survive job seeker also made it extremely <laughs> difficult where we just couldn't get uh, anyone uh, to come and work we've found a bit of a mixed bag since Alan's right with chefs and chefs is not a new issue. This has been prior to COVID, you know, chefs, recruitment of chefs was always a challenge, particularly now with the borders shut that uh, there's um, Pacific Islanders and people coming out of Asia that would traditionally be coming. Uh, we're not getting those. So that puts a lot of demand. And as everybody in this room knows that, you know, the margins in food are very small anyway. So it doesn't give you a lot of lot of wiggle room in relation to, to your chef's wages. But on the plus, we are finding that in areas like table games, some of our event staff, that we are getting people from capital cities are starting to say we'll look at Townsville we think is fantastic and hopefully that's a product of COVID that people in capital cities have actually realised that you can come to a regional Australia and your you know your career doesn't have to be jeopardised and you can have a just a good lifestyle living up here well, well, a, lot, well, a lot better better, better. yeah, yeah a most lot, definitely a, a lot better but so we're, we're seeing as a bit of a mixed bag but the apprenticeship stuff you know has certainly been very welcome that the government has announced because a number of our kitchen staff you know because of our chefs uh, we've taken on a number of apprentices since we've reopened yeah fantastic Fantastic. And I mean, when you're talking those numbers of 650 people in, in one business, I mean, it's just, it's staggering. So to see those shortages now, I guess it's it's the flip side, isn't it? But but uh, one of the other things, um, uh, you, you've all got pretty intensive supply chain sort of businesses. So you're sourcing food and things like that local, but the hotels are also trying to find other things. How have you found the actual sourcing of what your business requires through COVID? And what does this look like moving forward now? Uh, from a day to day, we haven't had any major impacts. 
But the one-off items like we put some new carpet down in the casino that was meant to be um, seven or eight weeks turned out to 16 to 17 weeks lead times. Anything that's coming overseas is has that sort of length of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, any work we're doing in the hotel rooms uh, that we order, you know, and if we could buy it from Australia, we would, but there's just not the supply here. So I think as a country, that's something that, you know, will be on everyone's mind when we come out of this now about what we manufacture in this country and, and what we can get easy access to. But in terms of our day-to-day stuff around our food and beverage produce, and there's been a shift now for many years about buy local, you mm. know, s- s- seasonal transactions when you can support your local industry. So I don't think there's a lot has changed from there, but anything that we want to order that would normally come from overseas, that's manufactured overseas, yeah, whatever you think it's going to be, double it because, and that then has flow-on effects to everything else you want to do. Mm. And you're yeah, seeing that, Richard? Absolutely agree yeah. with that. Furniture and equipment is just one of those things that you never know when it's going to arrive anymore. But I think with the uh, food and beverage supply, it's actually probably brought a lot of people closer together. And I think we've probably enhanced the relationships that we've had with some of our suppliers to make sure that we do support each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've found, uh, and I imagine these guys would probably find the same, but there's been some of the suppliers that have been fantastic in, in providing support to, to other mm-hmm. staff members. We, we've had a support uh, package that we set up within our company as well, but that's been supported by some of our other suppliers as as well and it's just been really welcome to get through what's been a really difficult time but from a yeah, equipment and furniture perspective it's just been a really difficult thing to uh to, to deal with yeah again the same for us your standard th- staple items for us your, your standard fresh fruit and veggies and things like that is no problem at all and that hasn't changed i think it's even got better because the local growers have had opportunities now where they may not have had those opportunities before and as michael said you know buy local is something we we pride ourselves on here you know where we want to be a little community-based restaurant where we do everything locally you know we get everything we can from the local produce everything we have our seafood we try and get all locally and stay locally it's been a big thing but again getting dishwasher parts getting oven parts or something <laughs> that comes from overseas oh, Michael's right you know like wow two months three months to get things on and we had to weigh up an option well do we wait for all this because some of our food relies on this being cooked so we don't get our revenue coming out, out the door or do we say well okay there's stuff in there you know there's new ones here that are in the country do we just try and bite the bullet put in new equipment that's not going to break down that you know so yeah, or not going to wait two or three or even four months on one of the things that we're looking for so we decided to put in most of it new equipment hopefully that's going to pay itself off and yeah it's it's, it's working out well but to try and get parts yeah that that was criminal we need more furniture makers in townsville and someone with a 3d printer to uh yeah. to print your parts for your uh for your dishwasher so if anyone's listening out there there's, there's a bit of an opportunity but guys your industry i can't not mention the restrictions and the requirements that have been put on your industry over the last 12 months and and I think you summed it up perfectly at the start, Michael, this experience we've never had before and, and hopefully don't have to deal with again in our lifetimes. But international borders closed, then domestic borders closed. The one in four square metre rule was a part of a bounce back, I guess, like we were meant to be happy about that. Sanitation requirements, we had put all those on tables and implement all of those things. These day-to-day issues for your businesses uh, when you were going through it and, and coming out the other side. Talk us through how that looked in your business and has there been some positives that have come out of it on the other side? Has it changed the way you do things or has it has there been any benefit from it? Uh, look, I suppose, you know, I'm lucky in that I've got a team of people that I can rely on to look at all the announcements that were coming out from the government and give me a hand to Im- implement those. Look, it, it was unbelievably challenging and, you know, I want to be supportive because obviously, again, none of us have been through this, but there's there's a number of things that, whilst they might sound really a great idea, uh, sitting in a office in Brisbane, the practicality of how they were meant to be implemented and managed was just 
you know, was, was very difficult. And that put pressure not only on the staff, but also on the patrons. So we're trying to offer an experience where you can come out and, and have a good time. And you've got people telling you to sit down, or put a mask on, sign in over here, don't stand too close to that person. So like it, it was unbelievably challenging. And I suppose you look back now, you think, oh, well, we actually got through it pretty well. But just the level of the complexity around all the rules that were in place were, was, was very difficult. And I suppose learning from it, we've had some really good feedback around the cleaning process that we've put in place. I can't really obviously identify any other positives that have come, come out from it other than that, you know, we've done really well in, in North Queensland. Yep. You know, we've yep. been uh, providing very safe venues. Staff have been unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Uh, frustrating was, was, was one word, but I guess it's the, it's the world we're living in at the moment. Yeah. Yep. I think we all would have liked to have seen the contact tracing result in, a, I guess, a, a more freedom with the uh, the restrictions about what our capacities can be, because that's yep. probably the biggest thing that limits us now with, when you do have those extra costs in when it comes down to uh, having to sign people in and all the extra sanitising and that sort of thing. And removal of buffets means that there's it's a lot more labour-intensive services now as well. So having the restrictions there with a with a good contact tracing app in place, then you, you would like to think that that could have reduced the restrictions and had more freedom to uh, increase your capacities. That, that's probably... I think what, what would be the biggest challenge that we've had but as a positive moving out of this I think it, we've all become very adaptable uh, and we've had to you've had to just be able to respond quickly to to anything that comes up any changes that are made and and, and I think that's a positive thing for our business as well um, yeah. just to prevent you from getting stale but um, oh, look <laughs> no I, I, I know you're being all very oh. diplomatic here today but I can I can 100% remember I mean the chamber met with the chief health officer back in March and she said if we can get contact tracing right restrictions will ease so we uh, advocated for this contact tracing product to go out and I know Alan your business I know Deville uh, you all implemented it and we we got up to over seven million check-ins and, and seven and a half thousand businesses registered now I know you've all had to put a new contact tracing facility yes. into your businesses in the last week and a half but that um that's the complexity you guys are talking about Alan look look it is and I mean I have to ask you know why just hospitality <laughs> Is there anyone in Brisbane that sits in this premier's office down there ever owned a business, ever worked in a business, ever operated a small business? Because I'm sure if they did, they wouldn't be trying to implement some of the things they've implemented in the hospitality industry where it's costing people a significant amount of money just to run their business on a normal normal way. You know, I think it was the 23rd of December, the state premier came out and said, righto, there's no more handwriting stuff. We're getting rid of that now. So what do we do for those people? We couldn't let them use their own phones because they didn't want to do anything with the COVID side of things. We couldn't use any handwritten stuff and if we were to use handwritten stuff which we found out about three weeks later that we had to go back to one in four square meters instead of one in two square meters you couldn't rush out to a store because it was two days before christmas and buy an ipad you couldn't set up anything like that so what do you do yeah. You know, they said, well, you have to put a staff member out there front. So we had to then pay for a staff member. And, you know, in a small business, it's revenue. Mm. You know, if, if you've got a cost of labour, you've got to have revenue to pay for that. And if that's not there, that comes out of the small business. And I don't think any of these things were, were thought of. And then they implemented all the other procedures along the way and changing stuff and the sanitizer, which is a big cost for us. You know, we sanitise every single person that walks in the door and we stand there to do that. They don't like some of it, <laughs> but we still got to do it because we want, to, we want to move on to the next step. We want to open fully. We still got 40 or 50 seats there for us that we can't operate and for a small business that's unacceptable mm. particularly when you've got all the stadiums around here that are full and you've got everything like that that's full so why can't we operate like that so those restrictions put against small businesses where they've implemented is a difficult thing to swallow mm. And I think really, I would say someone really needs to sit up and listen for, for us and advocate for us for the North, particularly. And, you know, wearing masks and as Michael said, they can't stand here, you can't sit there, you can't do this. 
and particularly when they've had things going on down south and they shut the rest of the state down, where they had that little outbreak there just recently and then everyone had to wear masks, consumer confidence went downhill instantaneously. Yeah, it did. Like, you know, there's no question about it. And it doesn't take much for people's confidence to, to get lost when, when you're talking about COVID. And, and I think that's something we've really tried to highlight in our stuff is you guys, okay, you're selling a room or a meal, but you're selling an experience. You're mm-hmm. selling a some happiness, if you like. And when that interface with your consumer and your product is dampened by the complexity, that has to be something that's weighed up in the equation. Because if you don't take that into consideration, you're not looking at the full experience. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, I mean, guys, you know, I always love to end these chats. I mean, we've probably already got there on this, uh, on this, but if there was a one area that the government could look at to make the biggest difference in your industry, um, what would that be? I think for us, like, I mean, you know, we've been unbelievably pleased with the response we've got from the community since we've reopened and, and we've just experienced levels, particularly in the hotel that we've never experienced before. So that's been fantastic. And I guess probably around some certainty with the borders is probably mm-hmm. one of the biggest things, uh, Ross, just for us that people can, can book with that level of confidence. You know, I heard some stats around lead times on um, booking airplane uh, for fares and it's gone from whatever it was down to a few days. And, yeah. and I think that's just people are just nervous about getting around. Hopefully, touch wood, we haven't had any outbreaks for some time now, but probably as Alan was talking about confidence and some certainty, and business will always adapt. We'll always find a way because we don't have any other option. No, no. We've, we've, we've got to find that way. But I think for us, that certainty and a certain level of confidence and from there, we can, we'll just get on with the job and that would probably be the biggest thing for us. Yeah, great. So borders, domestically, you're talking more. Oh, be. yeah. I think we all accept international is not coming back yep. anytime, yeah, anytime soon. And look, for a destination like Townsville, I understand there's impacts for Maggie, particularly in the backpacker market, with particularly people coming out of Germany and, and uh, the UK, that uh, that market's obviously gone. Yep. But we're seeing there's a real willingness from Queenslanders to travel within Queenslanders, Australians within Australia, and yep. coming into a, hopefully, which is going to be a real cold winter into Victoria. Oh, let's hope we it get lots terrible. of, uh, you know, Melbourne, uh, Melbourne people up to visit us. 100%. Yeah. And, and Richard? Yeah, other than a, maybe a chef's training academy on the island, <laughs> would go a long way. But look, I'd like to see probably more freedom with the restrictions on capacities. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's holding us back at the moment. And for us, you know, we're not a huge accommodation property on the island, but that part of the business has actually never been busier for us. So we're seeing some of the best occupancies we've ever had. That's coming out of Queensland mostly. We've started to see it come through from other states as well. But every time there's been a restriction in any other state, whatever we've washed has, has come back straight away from within Queensland. So I think that's a positive, but the for food and beverage, having those uh, restrictions there. So I'd love to see the contact tracing being trusted enough to allow us to operate to our full capacities. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And well, I've got to agree with what, what Richard said. It's, you know, we're going to get those restrictions lifted. You know, we haven't had a real case here for over a year now. And, you know, while we're still on restrictions, it's a real hard for the business to keep going. Yep. And I think, I think now with this, with the government, I think they really need to still keep pushing North Queensland. I think there's got to be more to be done for down instead of doing it down south. You know, I know the state premier put some things on there to do with cheap flights and things like that into the Gold Coast and you get food vouchers and stuff. I mean, I was down there a few weeks back when they had that little COVID breakout that was down there. And I'd never seen the Gold Coast so busy. You couldn't get into a restaurant, you couldn't move anywhere, but still they had cheap things going on down there. Mm. You know, we want to push some of that back up to the north. I think we think there needs to be a solid voice for the north to get things happening up here. I think we're sort of the up in the north and we're lost. Mm. That needs to be pushed out. Get those restrictions going. Let the businesses trade freely. 
And I think you'll see a, a lot better, you know, voice of confidence into the community and people out there doing things a lot more and spending more money. Yeah, great. All right. And, you know, we have seen some good business numbers come out at the start of the year, but yeah, we definitely don't want to drop the ball on it. So yeah. guys, great to chat. Great to get your insights over the last 12 months and onwards and upwards from here, let's hope. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Good to see you. Thanks, great. Russ. Thanks, guys. Thanks, You're listening to the Townsville Chambercast. This podcast is proudly funded by the Australian and Queensland governments through the Disaster Recovery Funding Arrangements. We would also like to thank our show partner, Adits, for making this podcast possible. Adits are your local IT provider with one purpose, to implement effective technology solutions which empower their customers to achieve their mission. You can find out more about how they can support you and your business over on their website, adits.com.au. A-D-I-T-S.com.au. Catch the Townsville Chambercast on your favourite streaming services and make sure you smash that subscribe button. Thanks for listening and remember to think, support, celebrate and go local.